0: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast it is the better late than never edition of Spooky South Coast Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and we are getting a little bit of a a late start to the program here but we're going to well maybe we'll go a little bit over time for you we'll see how the how the night takes us but uh, I apologize because it's my fault why why we're a little bit late it's my fault because I was at a wrestling event we were at House of Bricks uh pro wrestling uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, I am the ring announcer for House of Bricks, which is a it's a wrestling organization that puts on shows solely for charity. So it's a, it's a non venture. Everywhere that they go, they put on these shows uh, to benefit wherever they're having the show or whoever is associated with the show. So tonight is the annual Veterans Slam event, which is held at the Poirier Post in New Bedford, the VFW there, and every dime that's raised... Goes toward helping veterans, so of course it's a it's a great cause, and I and I want to take part in all of these shows. Uh, but sometimes you know it's cutting it a little bit close on on Saturday nights when we have a show. But tonight was a little bit different because, and and you'll pardon me if I, I if I seem a little uh, a little punchy here at the beginning of the show. That's because I actually got punched. The Thunder from Down Under, Michael Foster, has been a thorn in my side now for the better part of a year. Uh, he is the former House of Bricks heavyweight champion. And he and I, I, I don't even remember how the issue started, but they started. And, and basically, he took issue, he took umbrage with the way that I was announcing him and saying that I wasn't doing a good enough job, and I'm just trying to do the best job that I can. That led to him beating me down uh, about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. In the ring, and ever since then, you know, we've had issues. And I've complained to the House of Bricks Championship Committee. I have complained to House of Bricks Commissioner John Cena Sr. And I've tried to do everything that I can to get the thunder from down under thrown out of the company. Because not only does he put his hands on me, but he cheats in all of his matches. And so for a while, he was suspended. When he beat me up last year, they suspended him indefinitely. Because I'm not a wrestler, and he should not put his hands on me. As a ring announcer, I'm supposed to be considered just like any other House of Bricks official. So you can't put your hands on the referee, you can't put your hands on the ring announcer. So he was suspended indefinitely. However, being the sneaky SOB that he is, the thunder from down under Michael Foster began showing up at House of Bricks events under a mask, calling himself Captain Australia. Same ring gear, looked exactly like Michael Foster, just wearing a mask. And he tried to proclaim that uh, he, he was wearing the same ring gear as Michael Foster because Michael Foster was his favorite wrestler and his hero. But I knew better. And so for, for months now, I've been trying to prove to everybody that Captain Australia is Michael Foster. And through some weird Australian rules... Because both Captain Australia and the Thunder from Down Under, Michael Foster, come from Australia, of course, because they're the same guy. But uh, because of their Australian rules, there's some sort of weird international thing where they, they basically they found a loophole in the suspension. So Foster was able to come back, not only come back, but he was able to once again regain the heavyweight championship, despite all my best efforts to keep him from getting a championship match. So last week, actually last month, he lost the title to a young up-and-comer named Justin Coco Sylvia. And Coco beat him for the title. And then last Friday, Coco and Foster had their, their rematch because when the champion loses his belt, in the contract for the championship match, it says that the champion will get a rematch if he loses the belt. So... Foster invoked his rematch clause, and he lost that match. But later on in that night, they had a battle royal for a number one contender spot. So whoever won the battle royal would get a shot at Justin Coco Sylvia and the House of Bricks Heavyweight Championship. Well, Captain Australia decided to enter into that battle royal and won, of course, through nefarious means. And so Captain Australia got a championship shot tonight. Captain Australia actually beat Justin Coco-Sylvia in the match tonight by cheating. When the referee's back was turned, he hit Coco with a low blow, rolled him up in a small package, and got the one-two-three. And I had had enough at that point, so I stepped into the ring, and when I got into the ring, I was trying to point out to the referee, T.J. Richter, what happened. But Foster decided that he wanted to Get in my face. Actually, before I got into the ring, I, 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 should, I should clarify this. Uh, I was, I was getting into a war of words with Captain Australia outside the ring when Coco reached over and pulled off the mask and revealed to the world what I had known all along, that Captain Australia was, was actually the thunder from down under Michael Foster. So Foster gets in the ring, starts beating down Coco, and because nobody was coming out from the back, nobody wanted to come out and, and, and save, nobody wanted to save Coco. As this poor young kid is is getting beaten down by Foster. So I just... uh, All I did is I got into the ring and I just tried to just pull Foster off of Coco. I wasn't trying to get involved. I wasn't trying to hurt Foster. I wasn't trying to hit him. I wasn't trying to take him out. I wasn't trying to gang up on him. I was just trying to keep Coco from from getting hurt because I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of one of Foster's after the bell beatdowns. So when I tried to pull him off he turned around and and went after me and he punched me in the eye and he hit me in the head and I'm not sure where it went from there I think he put me in the cocaine clutch I think someone said that he put me in the cocaine clutch I don't know I just I, I went out and the next thing I know as I'm coming to I have referees all around me house of bricks owner Brickhouse Baker is, is standing over me, uh, and 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 all I know is that he's reversing the decision, and Coco is still the champion. So it took me a while to to be able to to leave the ring. My eye was swollen, I had to put ice on it. I, I think my you can see on the on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, you know my forehead's a little busted up. So I had to. Uh, yeah, I really had to kind of go through some protocols before they would allow me to leave. And I kept saying, I have to, get, I have to leave. I have to go do a spooky South Coast. But they told me, they said, you know, you're not going anywhere. Unless somebody from the show can come and pick you up, we, we can't let you leave. So I knew that, uh, you know, it's just myself and Matt tonight, and he was here trying to get everything up and running. So I just kind of had to wait it out. But I was also told. While I was in the ring and they, they, they had me sit in a chair in the ring and kind of just, you know, keep the ice pack on o- over my eye and over my forehead. And, um, as I'm sitting there and, and, and trying to kind of regain my composure and regain myself, Rickhouse Baker comes into the ring and, and, and explains to me that there's going to have to be sanctions against me. That I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to be punished in some way for putting my hands on a wrestler. Even though. He has put his hands on me numerous times in the past, even though just moments before that he was poking me in the chest. And I'm an official. I am not supposed to be touched by the wrestlers, but it does say in my contract that I will not put my hands on the wrestlers either. So because of that, I, I will face some sort of punishment, some sort of repercussions when the new House of Brickshire starts in February. I don't know what those will be. House Baker said we'll talk about it. He wants to be fair about it, but he has to do something because just as much as he has to show the wrestlers they can't put their hands on the officials, he also has to let the wrestlers know that it's going to be an even playing field and that the officials won't put their hands on them. So I, I guess I can understand that. I don't think I should have to face any sanctions because of what he did to me and because of what he's been doing to me, but we're... we're there's going to have to be something that goes down. So I don't know if I'm going to get suspended. I don't know if I'm going to be, um, you know, if, 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 if I may, I may even be barred from any House of Bricks events. I, I don't know. All I know is I've been giving my personal time because I believe in the company and I believe in the good work that they're doing. And we put on some fantastic shows and we raise a lot of money for, for deserving causes. And my chance and my part to be part of that is now hurt because of the thunder from down under. So I don't I don't know what to do. But that's that. That's uh that's just I want to let everybody know then that I wasn't I wasn't ducking out on the show. I wasn't eating pizza in the parking lot. I was uh I was not allowed to leave. But uh, now I'm here and now we can talk about the paranormal. And I I want to you know this kind of bleeds into what I wanted to talk about tonight as well because. This week, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, I, I work at the station full time uh, and I'm the digital managing editor, which means I, I run the websites and the social media for the for station and for Fun 107, and I kind of am the editor of what goes up online. So all the opinion pieces that our hosts write go up online, and I put up a piece the other day because yesterday I just was, I just thought it was ridiculous, something that happened uh, and I'm not going to I'm not going to make the show political, but I just thought something that happened was uh, was a little beyond the pale. So I wrote a column about it because we don't have the other side here. We have numerous right wing hosts that write columns from a right wing perspective. And I don't share all of their views. Now, I like to think that I'm independent and I'm down the middle and that I can kind of take things at face value and make an informed decision. But this piece that I wrote, you know, kind of went in in, in a more left-leaning direction. So anyway, somebody comments under the post about how, you know, Tim is involved in in ghost hunting and, and local wrestling. So, you know, basically trying to say that that means my opinion doesn't mean anything. And when I used to host a Saturday morning show, a general talk show on Saturday mornings where we would talk about politics, among other things, I would get calls from people that would call me out and say that I had no right having a political opinion because I'm Mr. Spooky Ghost Guy that goes out and and looks after ghosts. Oh, look at this guy coming in all all decked out. But uh, so that made me think that maybe that's something we can bring into the show tonight. And that's, I know a lot of you out there have paranormal interests and are paranormal investigators, or maybe you're just people who are interested in the genre. But that it impacts your everyday life, that some people that you are friends with, or your family, or maybe even your significant other, they don't appreciate your interest in the paranormal, and they may they may mock you for it, they may not take you seriously for it, they may have actually, uh, you know, the, you, you might have lost friends over it, you might have lost relationships over it. And what's funny is we talk about that same thing happening from a political perspective, that people can't get along with each other anymore, and so they will end friendships and relationships over being on opposite ends of the spectrum. So it's kind of funny how the same thing will happen with the paranormal, and we'll take your calls on that, 508-996-0500. I was hoping Stephanie was going to be in tonight, but she's traveling back, so... She's actually, uh, probably just landing now. And so it'll be, uh, it'll be impossible for her to come in and join the show. But I know that she suffers from the same problem that she has an issue with her psychic abilities and her mediumship abilities kind of bleeding into her everyday life. And it, it took a long time for her to be willing to talk about that on a public basis to, to, to say to people, this is who I am and this is what I do. So if that's the case, if, if you have to live in secret with this interest, with this pursuit, is that something that, that's worth it? I suffered a lot of slings and arrows over the years about this, but I don't care about it. So it, it doesn't bother me any. I know when I got involved in this stuff that I'm into weird things, and I like being the guy that's into weird things. I don't mind. So when people bring it up and try and use it as a, as a put-down toward me, it, it doesn't affect me at all. Because I just don't care. But Matt, you were there. You can you can talk about this from a, a first hand perspective. Uh, when we used to have we used to share a job together. We did, and uh, we're not proud of that necessarily. Uh, but uh, it wasn't our best time. <laughs> it wasn't the best seventeen years of my life. No. Uh, but during that during that time, uh, you know, I was I was a cook in a diner, and people knew about. Spooky South Coast, mainly because, you know, our, our boss was, was actually, for all the problems that we had, he was supportive right, yeah. of what we did, and he was proud of us for doing something like that. So, you know, he people there knew what it is that we did, but it also became a point of – now, in full disclosure, I wasn't exactly the uh, the nicest guy working there.
1: I think that's fair that's, to say. Maybe. Maybe that – some people could have, uh, thought that. Did you think that? <laughs>
0: Did you hate working with me? You can no, be honest. No. Now. Okay. But I was not, I was not a pleasant person. Uh, which surprises people all the time now. They're like, really? Like, you were like that? But I was. Um, I was prone. Ah, prone. It was a different time. I was prone to exploding in anger. I was prone to yelling at people, both, uh, coworkers and customers. I was just, I was just a pain in the ass to work with. But, um, you know, the customers would use... Now you yell at ghosts. <laughs> I take out all my frustrations on the yep. ghosts. But the customers would use that toward me. Like the customers would... I just remember that one day. I think you were there. I think it was a Saturday morning. Were you there? when? Uh... Um, I don't think so. When I was uh, apparently too slow making somebody's breakfast and he got upset and said, uh, oh, he's too busy uh, looking for ghosts. Maybe right. if he wasn't out looking for ghosts, maybe I'd have my breakfast on time. And this was mainly because I wouldn't give them extra home fries. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That's what it was. That's that's what it was all about. Because I would not <laughs> give extra, extra home, home fries. fries yeah. Extra home fries was the basis of every argument that I ever had with uh, most customers. Because the waitresses would always be like, "Just give them a little extra." There's something
1: about those home fries. But apparently. if you just give them a little extra, yeah. then you have to give everybody a little extra. But, but on the uh, on the other hand, like there was probably just as many, if not more, people who were um, who. Like the fact that you, right? Yeah. Oh, was, you know they they were genuinely interested, and they, act they went there
0: for that reason. We had some great conversations. We had um, we had a lot of leads that would come into things from people that we talked to, right? Uh, in in the in the diner. Never would have met met Matt Moniz. Matt, that's the whole reason Matt Moniz, uh, became involved with the show is that, you know, we we knew him already as Matt, the sound guy from from the biker bar where he would run the soundboard during you know, music shows, but, uh, we right. had no idea he was into the paranormal and it wasn't until he called us out. Called, right. he, I, I mean, we were you know cooking. You know, what's funny about that? Like,
1: uh, looking back at that, we know just as much about him now as we did. then.
0: <laughs> I, know, I think I know a little bit more, Maybe about a little, him now. but just
1: a little, but it's not much more.
0: Like I, I didn't, I didn't know that he was a, a chemist
1: then. No, no, well, I mean, you wouldn't think that, like,
0: right? I mean, looking at him, I was like, "This I mean, guy, I know, have a job."
1: I know you shouldn't, you shouldn't judge people at what they, what they look. But like, we do but, we do anyway. But like, that's human if nature. A, if a kind of biker looking dude comes into a diner, then like, you're not like, "Oh, he's a, he's, he's a, an analytical chemist."
0: Yeah, he's a Harvard educated yeah. chemist. I would not have thought that, uh, but, uh, but that's you know that's that was a great connection that we made through there. And, and Taylor, we don't we don't take breaks on the show. Like we run this podcast, aisle, also feel free to just jump in if you want to uh, oh, well, take
1: part I'm in the show. Sure. I just I just popped on in. I appreciate you, it though.
0: You you didn't have to get so dressed up for us.
1: I thought we were on Spooky South Coast TV. We are, and
0: now you are now. See, we're excellent setting up the camera. Uh, for those who don't know, this is uh, our news director here at WBSM, Taylor Cormier, and uh, he is dressed this way. I'm assuming because you
1: just came from. I actually ex- was at a. I was a guest at a wedding. Oh, you weren't. Performing. I wasn't performing. No. Oh. We we won't make you perform now. No, but I appreciate any business that I can get, (laughs) but we can't talk about that.
0: Well, this is Spooky South Coast. We don't really follow all the rules here. Okay. So uh, you can check out, if you go to Facebook and check out Taylor Cormier Sing Sinatra, you can find out all about Taylor's performances, where you can see him, and how you can get a hold of him if you want to book him for your performance. And you can see videos. You have videos up there of some of your performances. somebody that may or may not be me. That's. Uh, I
1: still have to adhere to some rules. I,
0: I guess you do, but nobody nobody listens to the show. Nobody, <laughs> That's not nobody true. from management's listening. That's not it. true. They're all asleep right this now. This
1: is one of my favorite shows. I'm in management. You used to call into the show, yeah, in in the old days. This used this show used to keep me up uh, right. when I was delir- delivering pizza. Was there a uh, a UFO sighting? When um, that you called in about? I'm sure there was. Mm. I've had several. Yeah, I thought I had one the all other right. night too. Really? Yeah. I think it was just a a planet. Well, I... I saw something in the trees, and it looked like it was moving around, but I think it was the wind playing with the branches, so you can never really tell.
0: I was talking to somebody. I was in Hingham uh, Thursday night doing a a lecture at the Hingham Library, and a woman was talking to me afterwards about a UFO that she had seen, and uh, out that way, you know... um, Hingham is, you know, kind of on the eastern coast of Massachusetts for anybody that's listening from elsewhere. It's, it's, it's about 20 minutes south of Boston. And she was telling me that she saw a UFO and it actually hovered over her neighbor's house, like mm. to the point where she could make out detail wow. in the UFO. But she said that when it moved, it didn't move the way a normal craft would move. It would zip to another spot. Mm-hmm. It would just go zip, zip, zip. And which is funny because the one time I think I've seen a UFO, that's exactly what it did. It, it, it kind of – just it was over 195 over uh, the Acushnet River as I was coming home from Lizzie Borden's at about 3 in the morning. And I just saw this light and I said, oh, what's that? Is that a plane at 3 in the morning? And then it just quickly went zoom and it zipped a, you know, good – I can't judge distance at that height, but right. probably a couple of miles. And then it zoomed the other direction and then it took – it was kind of like a Z shape. Mm-hmm. And then it just took off and disappeared.
1: I remember that one of the first times I ever saw anything questionable, I was in New Hampshire, and it was one of those crisp, clear nights in September. I think it was for Labor Day weekend. We're up there at my uncle's cabin, and we were laying – they had a roof deck. We were laying out on top of the on the – on the roof deck, and just looking up at the stars – and everything was so beautiful, and we were looking for satellites, actually. Because, you know, you can see satellites. If you don't look directly at them, mm-hmm. you just kind of look to the side, and you can kind of see them whizzing by. So I was looking for satellites, and I saw what I thought was one, but my eye could fix upon it, and which is unusual for something that's that far away. So I kept following it, and then it stopped. And then it moved parallel, and then it moved a- another direction, and, and I was... I didn't tell anybody at that point because I knew nobody would be able to pick up on what I was seeing, but I remember seeing that it was a star that was zigzagging, for lack of a better term, is what I saw. It sounds like what you Which saw.
0: Is not the way anything should move that we know of.
1: Right, right.
0: What I like is I, I love the fact that now we can have, like, the Google Sky app so that if you're out there and you're not really sure what it is, exactly. you can just kind of look at Oh, it's Jupiter. Okay.
1: Yeah, I texted you one night. That was not that long ago. I was looking at something because it's orange light. And I thought, I, maybe maybe it's one of those Chinese lanterns uh, that you know people set off. It was a little balloon with a candle under it. It's like a miniature hot air balloon. And I thought maybe it was one of those, but it wasn't really moving or uh, dancing like that, but it was keeping a steady path very slow. And I, I took out my binoculars and I still wasn't able to bring it into focus, but I took out the Google Sky Map and turns out it was some star I'd never heard of before. Which most of them
0: I, th- right. I don't think I've ever heard of, but uh, well we're talking a little bit about like the paranormal and and real lives and, and kind of how it enters into it. Let me ask you this, and I want you to be completely honest. my feelings won't be offended at all, uh, but of course, uh, prior to the position I have now, I worked in the newsroom mm-hmm. for a year and a half, uh, and I had already long you know been doing this show for a long, long time. Was there any hesitation on your part to put me in the newsroom knowing that I have these other interests outside of, uh, Absolutely. Outside of
1: work. Absolutely, I, I, <laughs> thank you for being honest. <laughs> That's that was one of my first when when we when I we were discussing hiring you. Uh, that was the first thing I brought up. I said, "Well, he's got this weird show <laughs> on Saturday nights. People may not trust him. There's there's a trust factor that goes into Absolutely, the newsroom, yeah. but." Uh, you know, over the years, listening to you, you take such a n- not a skeptical, but sub- such a, 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 a an objective point of view with things that you're you're in the middle. You you hear people's stories, and you take a very objective point of view with with those and uh, or subjective. I get those confused all the time, uh, but uh, you're very fair, and um, my my feelings of trepidation were assuaged by your fairness well i can tell
0: you this i think that uh spooky south coast actually helped me in some regard working in the newsroom because a lot of the people that we were talking to for news stories and you know the movers and shakers around this area they listen to the show Mm -hmm. so i would go up to somebody and it would be like hi i'm tim from wbsm news and they say oh yeah i listen to you on saturday nights nice so it's you know that kind of kind of helps out a little bit in some ways too that uh you know you're you're if you can talk about really weird stuff, then I think people will trust you enough to talk to you about some of the local goings on. More zone. mundane stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I I would not be surprised at all to... I'm not surprised at all to hear that there was some, some trepidation in that because it is... It's a weird it's a weird thing to be into. And it's a weird thing to be so public about. It'd be one thing if it's just somebody's hobby. You know, if, uh, if I was just an, an amateur weekend ghost hunter and nobody really knew that, that'd be one thing. But because I'm on the radio talking about this, I'm on television... Uh, you know, I do different things like somebody's going to see me somewhere.
1: Right. I, I was I was the same kid uh, you know, in the library with that section with those eight same books that they mm-hmm. had. The on one hundred section? The yep. Loch Ness monster and ghosts in Freetown and everything like that. I was the same kid. So I you know, it didn't it didn't come as a shock to me that anybody had that same interest and, and wanted to be in the same field.
0: It, it, I mean, there were a few times when I've, I've gotten the stink eye from people, but uh, generally, you know, for the most part, people want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it comes up in the weirdest spots. Like, uh, you know, there's a local high school football coach that the first time I covered one of their games and I introduced myself to him, you know, he didn't know me from being the guy who had been writing about high school football for a long time. He knew me from Spooky South Coast. And so I got to ask him like two questions maybe about the game before he started asking me all kinds of questions about ghosts. So it's, it kind of works its way around, but there is still a lot of people want to
1: talk about their experiences, whether they know what happened to them or not, especially if they don't know, they want to talk about it and and get somebody else's point of view on what happened. Uh, can I tell you, can I tell everybody the story I told you the other day? Sure. Yeah. Oh, that was a great story. So my, my fiance uh, works with a couple of folks in, in the, the health department and somebody came up to her and started telling her this story of what has been happening in this house that they recently bought in Taunton, which is for the listeners, just a few miles away from where we are broadcasting right now. Now this person has, uh, they, they bought this house with their spouse. I'm not going to do a whole Dr. Seuss rhyme, but, uh, (laughs) they moved in no uh, activity at all. It was, very, very ordinary, and they started decorating. Now, this house was built maybe 150 years ago, uh, and they started decorating. They had this long hallway where they really didn't have anything to fill up the space on the wall. So, looking around, looking around, one of them, their parents had this old map in their basement, this big, you know, three by two map. So they said, Mom, Dad, can we have that? Sure, yeah, we don't know where the hell it came from. Eh, You take it, whatever. It's been in the basement for so many years. Go ahead. So they take this map, they get it framed, and they put it on their wall in this hallway, in this house in Taunton. And nothing unusual happens until maybe a few nights later when they, they notice they're walking by and they see the map is somehow deteriorating which is not unusual you bring something out of maybe a damp basement into a dry hallway there's going to be some dehydration some shrinkage right Yep. shrinkage there was shrinkage (laughs) significant (laughs) shrinkage (laughs) for all you seinfeld fans um but then they started noticing the edges of this map had some uh, ash on them it appeared to be burning and they didn't know what to make of it so they took it off the wall and saw that the outline of the map had burned into the wall. Uh, they tried and tried to scrub it out, but they couldn't do it. Uh, the ash mark stayed on the wall. So they, they didn't know what to do. Um, a few days go by. One of them tries washing the wall top to bottom, soap, water, all the fixings. Nothing comes out. They go to work. The other spouse comes home. And texts the other one and says, Hey, did you happen to notice anything while you were washing this wall? She says, no, why? And the spouse says, well, look at this. She sends her a picture. Now, my fiance has seen this picture. I haven't seen it yet, but she said she, and, and I believe anything she says. She tells me to. Uh, there were claw marks on the wall. Okay. So what? They may have been there before. Maybe there was some, some construction work or something where there's some, some marks in the, the sheetrock or whatever. But what was strange about these claw marks is that they weren't dug into the wall. They were protruding from the wall. Like something, for lack of a better vision here, was clawing itself from inside the wall out into mm-hmm. the hallway. Uh, so that was a little spooky. So they, they put another picture there. I don't, I don't think anything happened after that in the story that I told you with the picture. But on, uh, another night soon after that, after they had replaced the picture on the wall, um, one of them had started experiencing really dry skin. So they started drinking more and more water. They're usually very sound sleepers. So uh, one of them, they, they woke up one night because they had to use the bathroom. They went out into this long hallway where that picture had been framed, that map, they looked down the hallway towards the kitchen, and they saw a silhouette of a man, clear as day. There was no mistaking it. And she didn't really freak out, but she was concerned, so she immediately flicked on the light, and the silhouette disappeared. She went to the bathroom, did her business, came out, shut off the lights, and then she heard the medicine cabinet, which is one of these latching cabinets where you really have to force it closed and force it open. Mm-hmm. She heard it open, uh, which was strange to her because it takes some force. And she peered back into the bathroom and she saw the cabinet wide open and then slam shut. I guess she went right back to sleep. I I don't think I could have. Uh, So she, uh, I guess when, when they were starting with this home and renovating or whatever they were doing, out in the backyard, they had started putting a fence up. During the digging process, they had come across some rocks that appeared to be volcanic, uh, very black, igneous rocks. They didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know where they came from. They looked interesting. They kept one of them, and they threw the others away. put up the fence. And as they were telling their co-workers of this really Weird set of circumstances that were taking place in their household. One of them said, whoa, 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 those rocks. And they described them to them. They said, yeah, that's exactly what they were. And they said, well, uh, I, I don't know. But back in the day, apparently, people used to plant these rocks in their yards to ward off evil spirits. Now, did all this activity start taking place after you had put in that fence? And they said, yeah. And they said, well, not for nothing, but maybe you should put those rocks back. I don't know what to make. I haven't seen that picture yet, but I don't doubt it one bit.
0: I'd especially be interested
1: to know how many claw marks there were. I'm told three is the number to look out that is, for. Yeah, that's the number you going to be careful I don't, with. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you another story. My, my ex-girlfriend, after we had broken up, uh, we were still in contact. We we're still good friends. Uh, I guess they had noticed some weird things going on in their household and her sister had had a child, and the child was seeing things and telling her, his mother about it. Uh, she didn't know what to make of it. She, you know, kids have wild imaginations, whatever. She gets pregnant with another child, and these things start happening again. I can't, I, I can't exactly recall what they were, but uh, I remember she had, and I did see this picture. She had woken up one night and she felt an irritation on her back. And when she had her sister, my ex-girlfriend, look at her back, she saw three claw marks Mm. all the way across her back. They don't own an animal at the time. They didn't own anything that would have caused those. Uh, But it was definitely uh, something to look out for.
0: See, uh, about a year or so ago, we were supposed to have an event in... Uh, Gardner at the S.K. Pierce Mansion, which is a, a very haunted Victorian mansion, and not all the activity that happens there is is positive. There's a lot of there's, there's a negative entity there that kind of attaches itself to people that come and visit. And uh, we were supposed to have this event. They couldn't have us go because there's some issues with the town and the board of health. With because they're renovating it and turning it into a bed and breakfast, they don't want people in the house unless there's running water. And unless the bathrooms are working and they were still in the process of trying to get that stuff up and running. So what ended up happening is there was an event the weekend before and they would let you have an event as long as you brought in like a porta potty and nobody ate in the house. Mm -hmm. But the event that happened the week before us, somebody brought a pizza over from the pizza place across the street, just brought their leftovers in there with them. Right. And when they did that, there was one person watching waiting to tell on on the people to the board of health so the board of health said you know you can't have any more events there so with only like 2 days to go we were informed that we couldn't have our event there uh. anymore so we were able to to shift gears and bring it to another place in the, in the next town over thank you don for that again but um we stopped at the SK Pierce mansion on the way there just to talk to the people and uh and when we went down into the basement they were telling us how they were going to be taking out some of the brick, because there's a tunnel back there. And the tunnel used to go across the street to where S.K. Pierce used to have his furniture factory. So they wanted to kind of open up some of that tunnel for, for tours. And so when we said, well, can we, can we try and smash some of the brick? And they said, sure. So we break off some of the brick. That's cool. And they let us take some of it as a, as a souvenir. Right. So a, a friend of mine uh, who was coming to the event anyway was really disappointed that he couldn't get into this house. So I gave him a piece of that brick mm-hmm. as like a little, like, here you go, I'm sorry you couldn't make it. And he took that home and he put it on his desk. Mm. And all kinds of weird stuff started happening in his house. And he would frequently get scratched. And he would get scratched in threes. And he would send me pictures of the scratches. And, uh, and uh you know, I, I trust him fully. I, I would not expect him to make anything up. I've... I've investigated with him numerous times, and he always does a, a fantastic job, and he's on the level. So if he's telling me he's getting scratched by something, I'm believing it. His right. parents actually told him to get rid of that rock once they figured out that it, that, that brick, when they figured out that that's what it was. But uh, he, he was still reluctant to do so. Now, I have that a piece of that same brick, but I've, I've never brought it into my house.
1: I now, to you and your experience, what do the threes signify?
0: So the old wives' tale version of it is that the reason why things come in three... And why, um, 3 a.m. is supposed to be like this dark hour, this demonic hour, is they're trying to say that the three is mocking the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. So that's, to me, that seems like a lot of work for, for demons to do. Like, we have to do this in threes. Like, just once is enough <laughs> if you're a demon to get your point across. But, uh, but that's the belief is that three mocks the Holy Trinity. And then, um, and you can get into like some of the significances of numerology. I don't know all that stuff off the top of my head, but uh, I don't. I've never bought into the three a.m. is the demonic hour thing anyway, mm-hmm. because it's always three a.m. somewhere.
1: Do demons work on time zones?
0: I, that's what I'm wondering. You know, so I don't. I don't. I don't put too much significance in the time. Although I will say, like, if I wake up in the middle of the night and it's three a.m., I do. I do freak out a little bit. Like I have a little bit momentary little. Bit of panic, like hold on. Why did I wake up at 3 a.m.? Mm. But uh, you know, but I can stay awake until 3:30, 4 o'clock in the morning and not think anything of it being 3 a.m. It's just when you wake up, that's like the thought that enters into your head.
1: What woke you up? That's right. scary. That that's that's scary when when you wake up and you don't know what woke you up.
0: I've I've had significant problems over the years. Not so much now, uh, but when I was younger. I, I had what they call night visitor syndrome, mm. where I would wake up in the middle of the night and be convinced that somebody was in the house. So I would I would wake up and I'd be paralyzed with fear because I'd hear the least little noise and be like, somebody's
1: downstairs. So, somebody's not, so downstairs. not so much sleep paralysis.
0: No, no, not sleep paralysis because I, I could have screamed if I needed to. Um, I, I I could move if I needed to, but I just wouldn't. Right. I would just try to stay perfectly still. And, um, and the other thing, like my, you know, my dad would get up early in the morning. He had like a job where he would get up early in the morning. Uh, you know, I had four other siblings, like animals. There was always going to be people in the house, things moving around, but you just, your mind would go there. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was a, a teenager, I was 15 and we lived in an old house that was built right, literally right next to train tracks, like from here to like my car was where the train tracks were. And, um. We would have, you know, the train would go by a couple times a day and would rattle the whole house, but you know, usually didn't have anything rattling during the night. You know, no trains going by at night. And you would know when a train's coming anyway. Um, so, but I would be asleep in my bed. I slept on a sun porch, a converted sun porch. And that was my bedroom, which was a cool room to have when you're 15, except sure. for in the middle of the night. Right. When you wake up and you have, two outside doors. You have a a door that goes to the outside at either end of your room, Mm. and then there's a door that goes into the living room. And if I woke up in the middle of the night and I would hear a door rattling, and it would be one thing if it was an outside door, because my first thought would be like, there's somebody on the outside of my house trying to get in. And then my first instinct would be to yell, hey, stop, stop doing that. And then they'll go away. But it would be that I would wake up in the middle of the night and somebody would be rattling the door that went into the living room. That would really freak me out. Hmm. And I could see, like, because the sunroom had been added on to the house, there was, like, w- windows that went into my living room, and I could see into my living room, so I knew nobody was there. But I would still hear that door rattle all the time, and when that door would rattle, I wouldn't be able to, to kind of speak out. So
1: when I was growing up, and I hope you don't mind this exchange's no, stories.
0: No. I No. Th- I, I think the audience is enjoying okay. it. Okay.
1: So when I was growing up, we, we lived in a house built in 1934- and it was built, actually, by a, a great, great uncle of mine. Uh, and f- for some stroke of good fortune, we were able to come into this house. And uh, we moved in there probably around 1997. And uh, I had the special room, which was a bedroom that had the door from the uh, dining room or the alcove from the dining room into my bedroom. I had a closet with a door and... Access to the attic was through my room as well, and that had a door. I thought it was a little cool.
0: So it was a door that like went to a staircase, not like a pull-down?
1: Right. It was an actual door, just like my closet door. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had the closet door on my right side of the bed and the attic door on my left, and the uh, door out to the dining room was at the foot of my bed to the left. I remember on many occasions, for no apparent reason whatsoever, the attic door would, and it was a tough door. We we didn't renovate the house until about 2006. So it was a good nine years of, of old house. Uh, and the attic door, it took some force to open and close. It would get stuck and swell with the humidity and whatnot. I remember on many occasions the door would open and then slam close for no good reason. And scared me. Uh, I won't deny that. It, it, it scared the dickens out of me, but um there's one story where my... So my father's an artist. Uh He wishes that was his full-time vocation, but it's not, unfortunately. Um So he keeps a lot of painting supplies up, upstairs in the attic, uh, a lot of frames, a lot of old pictures. So my grandmother had told us at one point, she said, you know, a lot of these, because my family's Portuguese, a lot of these old Portuguese ladies, what they used to do way back when, is they would hide money in the walls and the floorboards so oh, their, yeah. their husbands wouldn't find it. So they had some money <laughs> socked away for a rainy day. Uh, I imagine a lot of uh, families uh, did that way back when. Um, so when we first moved into this house, and we uh, we we had heard my grandmother say that. My sister and I went on the treasure hunt, <laughs> so we're in the attic. We're pulling up floorboards and looking for this big stash of money. It was never there, and to this day, there are many floorboards that have not been replaced. But uh, one day, we were up there, and I had seen a picture that I'd never seen before. And I said, hey, Beth, look at that. That's an interesting picture. It looked like the Gordon's Fisherman. Remember the Gordon's mm-hmm. Fisherman? Oh, yeah. uh, big yellow rain jacket and the long yellow beard and the sailor's cap. And she she looks at where I'm looking, and she says, what picture? And I look back, and it's not there. Wow. And I I didn't know if I was going out of my mind or whatnot. And, you know, through the years, that story had circulated through my family, and my grandfather said, oh, you saw the fisherman, huh? Oh. I said, wait a second. Let me hear this story. He says, well, uh, way back when we lived on Lake Nocachoke in Dartmouth, and uh, when we were first looking at this house and my, uh, oddly enough, my uncle bought back this house that my grandparents raised my, my father and my uncle. in, so they still live in it. Uh, he said, when we were first looking at the house, it was nighttime and we were walking through one of the rooms and you could see out into the living room. There's this big bay window that looks over the yard and he could see his reflection there. And he Looked at his reflection, and he also saw somebody standing next to him. He looked. There's nobody next to him, but in the reflection was the Gorton's fisherman, for lack of a better term. He said this guy followed them for a number of years. Wow! And so he's he's been in the family for a while. I guess I haven't seen him since then, but still,
0: though, like to to have a verification from someone else in the family that had seen the same thing. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I wasn't aware of that story until. After I had told my piece.
0: Hm. That's, you know, it's funny that you mentioned um, a, a painting of a fish. Because one of the first stories that ever scared me as a kid. I grew up, you know, kind of desensitized to horror. Um, I think I was probably like five or six years old. When I, when I was really little, I remember there used to be the a commercial for this movie called Terror Train, mm. which was like a cheesy 70s horror movie But they used to show it on Channel 56. And I'd see the commercial and I'd kind of freak out a little bit. And I don't know if it was like because of that and to try to desensitize me or what, or my parents weren't just paying attention or whatever. Like I saw Poltergeist when I was like five or six years old. You know, I, I kind of grew up watching horror movies, and I love them, and I, I really didn't get too freaked out. There were a few incidents here and there, but uh, generally they didn't really scare me. But one day I was in the Turner Library in Randolph where I still go and do ghost lectures and where I've actually had the chance to investigate and, and had activity, paranormal activity happen. But I could have told you even back then as a first grader it was haunted. And uh, I got out this book. And I can't remember if it was, you know, the truly scary stories to tell in the dark or, or one of those, like, horror books, mm-hmm. but in one of those, like, scary ghost stories for kids books, there was a story about a boy whose father had died when he was very young. He was a fisherman, and his boat had sank, and he had drowned, and he had a painting or a photograph or something in his room of his father and, and the boat, and the mother had hung it up in his room so that he could, you know, always kind of remember his father, and and the story went that he would see the picture would change mm-hmm. as he was in his room. And, you know, sometimes there would be more water in the painting than there was before. Or sometimes, you know, the the, the father would be moving in the painting or something. But uh, there was this one scene where uh, when, you know, kind of all hell broke loose, where he looked in th- at the painting and... And he could see the painting like was just completely full of water and he was watching his father drown in the painting. And as a kid, that freaked me out more than any horror movie I had ever seen to that point. And it was like to the point where I, I, we, you know, we'd go to the Christmas tree shop. And when you go to the Christmas tree shop, for those of you who aren't from around here, the Christmas tree shop is like every hokey Cape Cod knickknack. Yeah. Every trope you can think of. And there's, there was literally a whole aisle of just like fisherman figurines. And I would just refuse to go down that aisle because it would mm. just freak me out to, to start thinking about that story again. But I still, I wish I could find whatever book it was in because I think I got truly scary stories to tell in the dark, at least the first one, and I didn't find it in there. So if anybody knows what book that story's from, just, uh, just let us know. Tim at spooky And I don't know. I'd like to, I'd like to interview the author someday and say, why did, thought- you, why did you
1: give me nightmares? <laughs> That's one of the scariest, most frightening ways to die, and I, I think we've all thought about different ways that one could go out. You know, we get caught in a fire or electric shock or whatever. And you think that you know nerves take over in those circumstances, and you don't really feel that much. But drowning, yeah, drowning, that freaks me out. Gotta
0: be a tough way to go, especially it, it when
1: deprives you of the single most dependent thing you have—oxygen—and. I can't think about it for too long.
0: Have you ever like tried to hold your breath underwater oh, yeah, and gotten to that point where you're like, I think I've gone too far?
1: I've been close, to, uh, you know, uh Highway in New Hampshire. Uh, there's a number of spots where you can stop and there's the you know, these springs and these waterfalls and uh, swimming holes, whatever. You can stop and, you know, have have a quick dip and before you continue on your journey. And when I was a kid, we did that one time and I I went under one of these falls, and it really wasn't all that strong. Then again, I wasn't all that strong of a kid. Uh, but I went underwater and got caught under one of these waterfalls, and I, I couldn't get up. I was stuck, and it was somebody noticed that I had gone in and, and pulled me out really quick. That was one of the most frightening experiences of my life.
0: I, I I've only really come close to drowning once, and uh, I was again, I was a teenager, and my cousin used to go to this work camp up in Maine. Because he was weird. Like other kids went there because they were punished Mm -hmm. or because they got in trouble with the law. So they would send him to this. It's an island a mile off the coast of Maine, almost up in Canada, where these kids had to spend the entire summer like building cabins and fixing cars and putting up fences. And you know, it was supposed to be a punishment, but he just loved doing all that stuff (laughs) and he loved learning about all that stuff. So he wanted to go there. So, uh, he would go every summer. And we would go up and visit them for a weekend, or maybe for three or four days. And we'd go a couple times a summer, and uh, which was great because I, I didn't have to do any of the work. I got to do all the fun camp stuff, and then I got to go home. But um, when we were up there, they had is they have a zip line because mm. there's this little cove where they have a and it's it's far. It's it's probably you know 50 yards across, but they have this zip line, and when you drop, you drop a good 20, 30 feet. Right. From the zip line into this freezing cold water. Even though it was August, you know, in August, the water off the coast, a mile off the coast of Maine is still very cold. Very cold. Yeah, it's running water. And so when the idea was that you would go out to the zip line, when you got to the halfway point, you let go and then you drop down and then the momentum would carry the zip line to the other side. And so I was like, okay, I don't know if I really want to do this because I wasn't a great swimmer. Mm-hmm. Um I could swim enough to stay alive, but I don't, like, know any strokes or anything like that. So uh, I just I just know how to not drown. tread water. Right. Yeah. So I said, I don't know if I want to do this. And, you know, everybody's like, you have to do it. If you don't do it, you're going to do it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. So when I did it, I got out to the halfway point and I let go. But I don't know if I, like, hesitated and I didn't, like, let go fast enough. But the zip line didn't go all the way to the other side. Mm. And I drop down into the water and you just plunge I mean you plunge and plunge and plunge and it's fun and then you get as you start going down there you start to realize wait a minute how the hell am I gonna get back up mm-hmm. you have to really be able to kind of power yourself back up in this freezing cold water which is you get that instant shock right and so I'm trying to get back up and I'm trying as hard as I can hard as I can and I'm thinking to myself no I'm gonna die I'm not gonna make it. And I was convinced that I was just, I was ready to just kind of just give up and let it happen at that point. And they couldn't, nobody could come into the water to save me because you can't just jump from the cliff and the zip line is stuck in the middle.
1: So how does the zip line get all the way up back to the top?
0: They ended up, they do have something that they tie to it.
1: Okay. So they can pull it back.
0: But I didn't know that. You know, I'm thinking like I'm stuck. I didn't realize that they would just pulley it back. So I'm just like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I don't know what happened, but somehow I ended up back on the surface. Nobody came and got me. I don't remember actually swimming up there on my own. I don't think I floated up. I just at some point, I went from being what I thought was probably halfway to the surface to actually being on the surface. Mm. And, uh, and and it's a, I've never
1: done anything like that again. And I won't. No more zip lines. I'd
0: still like to, I'd still like to skydive someday.
1: We haven't done it yet?
0: No. I know that you have. Uh, you, you enjoyed it, right? When you did Oh, yeah.
1: Two times. So I've just... I'm I mean, not going to do it. the third one. The third time's a charm. I don't want to take <laughs> fate. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's that's my thing. Is like, I, I only recently flew for the first time. Really? I, yeah. I was only It was only about five or six years ago that I ever took my first flight. And, of course, my first flight had to be cross-country. Mm-hmm. And I went with Jeff Belanger. We went out to film an episode of My Ghost Story out in L.A. And so he was like, wait a minute. You've never been on a plane before? Wow. No, I never have. He goes, and I'm going to be sitting next to you on a flight for six and a half hours? Like, what if you freak out? I'm like, I'm not going to freak out. I'll be fine. He's like, you might freak out. And then when we got up there, every time there was just a least little bit of turbulence, he'd like turn to me and be like, are you all right? Are you all right? I'm like, I'm fine. I actually, I love the turbulence. I think Oh, it's yeah, fun.
1: it's fun. It's fun. That's the most thrilling roller coaster ride. The, it's the most terrifying part to me of flying is when I'm on the ground, we haven't taken off yet, and there's a delay. You just go stir crazy. Yeah, and you're like, what's you just, going on here? Let's, uh, you're sitting there, and you're, how long am I going to be stuck here with these people? Let's just get out of our way. But, yeah, that's yeah. the
0: th- the thing to me is uh, it's 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 getting to the point where you're actually heading up. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're actually ascending. If, for the whole time, I'm just kind of on the runway and taxiing. And then when we start to try to build up speed to take off, like it's that whole part that I'm like, okay, hope this works. Okay, mm-hmm. hope this works. And then once we start pulling up, I'm like, all right, it seems like it's going to work.
1: Oh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that any of these things get off the ground. But
0: then they do that, they, especially if you fly out of Logan and you're flying anywhere, you know, because when you fly out of Logan, you, you're pretty much turning around no matter where you're going. Mm-hmm. And so they get you up there, and then once they get up there, as soon as you're up there, they immediately start banking. Sure. And so you're like, all of a sudden, you're sideways looking over the ocean. You're like, this doesn't feel like this is normal,
1: (laughs) it is. Just came back from Aruba, and they did the same thing there. It was a very quick takeoff, and we weren't even – we didn't get to all that great altitude when we started banking really hard. And I thought, okay, this is it. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen in the newsroom when I get (laughs) – who's going to take over that's um uh, that's that was the issue we had
0: when we flew to buffalo cuz it's it's such a hard turn yeah that you're like uh uh and i like i looked over at phil cuz phil was phil was sitting uh like across from me
1: uh-huh
0: and i looked over at him and i'm like does he seem normal he's like oh yeah no don't worry like like somehow yeah. phil knew yeah right. he didn't know he was just trying to come this me happens
1: down. all the time
0: yeah every time i flew oh. to buffalo <laughs> the, the spooky South Coast audience knows Phil because they they watch the Lily Dunn episode. Everybody said uh that's. People have asked, like, "Is that guy going to be on again?" Because uh, <laughs> it's like, well, we enjoy. It. I kind of, I kind of let him ask too many questions. I think where he was like trying to tell me afterwards. He's like, "Oh, you should have jumped in," mm. because he was asking. You know, being somebody that's not familiar with all that stuff, he's kind of asking very surface level questions. Mm. So. We wanted to kind of dig into some of the deeper stuff, which we did, and uh, and I think it turned out pretty well. But uh, I think, uh, what do you think, Matt? How we don't we don't have any calls coming in? No, we don't. We we gave people a little bit of an overtime. Should we wrap it up? That's yeah, up to you. All right, I don't want to keep. I know you have to work in the morning. I know we are going to try time travel tonight, though. I know this is this is one of the times right. here we get to time travel. Yeah, and uh, it's a good kind of time travel tonight. Because we get the extra hour, Mm -hmm. which I know is always beneficial for you. What time are you in tomorrow?
1: Uh, Eight. Eight? That's not bad.
0: But it is when you leave here at like 3.30 in the morning, which we're prone to do sometimes. (laughs) Uh, But uh, so we will be back next week. I'm sorry. Not... No, wait. What's today's date? We will be back next week. Next week, we'll be talking with Lynn Marie. She'll be our guest. Uh, If you know Lynn Marie, she'll... Probably be giving some readings to the callers, uh, some mediumship readings for those of you who want to call in and get one. We'll also be joined briefly by Candace Dalton, who's coming back to the area, and uh, and she'll have a couple of days over at Collective Souls and Equestrian, so she'll call in and check in with us as well. And then the week after that we'll be off because we'll be at the Bull Mansion in Worcester for Wicked Worcester. So if you want to come out and check that out, feel free, we are trying to uh, be the first, well, we will be the first people to investigate there. Hopefully some some activity happens, but nobody has ever investigated the Bull Mansion. And I want to take a moment, too, to say hi to Megan, who is listening t- for the first time. Uh, we recently made each other's acquaintance, and uh, she is an up-and-coming paranormal investigator in the area. So thank you for tuning in and checking out the show, and thank you to everybody for tuning in and sticking with us tonight while I was a little bit late getting here because... Uh, Cause I got the crap kicked out of me. Yeah,
1: I hope your forehead feels better. Yeah, that's a doozy, uh, huh?
0: Yeah, well, it's all right. It's I think it looks worse than I feel, so I'm hoping that's the case. I it looks pretty bad. <laughs> I don't mind it at all. I, I I I look now. I feel like I'm a real wrestler because I I've got some scars to prove it. Uh, they didn't actually have me. We, you know, we know some people
1: that can get back at the Thunder from Down Under.
0: Oh, Ryan Dixon was there. He was ready to jump in if I needed yeah. him. He always is. He always <laughs> sends me texts afterwards saying, oh, I hope you're okay, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, so uh, so as I said, you know, we still get some tickets available for that event if you want to check it out, SpookySouthCoast.com. Also, we're uh, we're running out of time for you to sign up for the Wicked Waters Cruise as well. You can get tickets to that at WickedWatersCruise.com. So that'll do it for tonight's show For Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Taylor, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.